0: Welcome, and thank you for checking in at the Inner Game of Change podcast, where I focus on exploring the multi layers of managing organizational change. My name is Ali Jama, and you're listening to the Inner Game of Change podcast. My guest today is Alex Bolting, a trained economist, a speaker, and an expert in building change capability. A passionate change expert, Alex has developed his own practice around helping organizations adapt to the ever-changing environments. In this episode, Alex and I chat about organizations and how they can adopt a long-term change capability mindset and build the environment to help people navigate through change. I'm grateful to have Alex chatting with me today. So Alex... Thank you so much for your time, and thank you for joining the Inner Game of Change podcast. I am grateful for your time.
1: Thanks, Ali, and thanks for um, thanks for thinking of me and um, and getting in touch. Um, and I'm looking forward to the looking forward to the session.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much. And before we start, Alex, today, I'd like to touch on a couple of points and uh, around organizational change and around really how. Um, We need to focus on doing the basics right in in terms of the current change management uh, practices. But before we start, and it will be fantastic if you can uh, introduce yourself to my uh, listeners.
1: Yeah. So, um, well, I'm Alex Bolting. Um, I mean, I originally trained as, um, as an economist, so I was, uh, I was actually doing energy demand forecasting for, for the UK government and running sort of complex models, uh, for a few years, but I always wanted to get into, to transport. So then I got into transport forecasting and, um, sort of traveled the world a bit in, in, in that work. And then, um, and then I moved to a company, London Underground, where I'd always wanted to work for and had a passion for coming from from London myself. And that was all about trying to get increased usage of public transport. So it's fundamentally about behavioural change, which yes. is what um, economics is about, really. Um, so we were inventing new products and um, trying to estimate people's sort of responsiveness to that. And then you sort of move up the management ladder, don't you? And I ended mm. up... Um, managing a contact center of 150 people and we were trying to do sort of you know behavioral change we were trying to improve the performance of the contact center we're trying to integrate new crm systems into into uh into the the, into the contact center um and then i realized actually the answer wasn't in the numbers I could crunch the numbers for as long as i wanted to but i wasn't going to find an answer there and i had to understand people and engage with people. And that started my journey in, in organizational change really. Um, But it wasn't until 2010 that I thought I really need to try and get qualifications. So I did my ad car thing. Um, And that really got me onto my path of where I am now of, do people really believe this stuff? Do people really believe these models? Because I was there sort of scratching my head when people said things like, um, you know, uh, everybody hates change or yes. resistance yes. Is, is our natural response mm. to change. And I thought I was, you know, looking around the room and wondering, really? Because I quite like it. I quite like the challenge, the curiosity. Yeah. Um, and so that got me into doing my master's in psychology and um, doing my CMI training as well.
0: And these are um, all complementary skills that you've got, uh, Alex, because uh, they all help with understanding the change journey a staff member or a team member goes through?
1: Yeah, so from a from a sort of very macro level, mm. high level economic modelling, all the way down to talking to individuals about how we were going to help them um, get through the change and what the change meant from them. So, yeah, it, it has been a very, very interesting journey um, over the past sort of 25 years or so.
0: So were you part of the Nudge Unit and the UK government, I think, started with David Cameron at the time?
1: No, I, no, uh, nothing. No, I didn't. I, yeah, OK. Le- I'd left, I'd left I, the UK government way before that.
0: You actually did mention something which I also want to touch on, what, what I call tired statements that change is hard, you know, everybody's going to resist change. What's your take on that?
1: Um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I started off, and it's interesting how, how – our journeys progress, isn't it, through mm. change? I, I guess pe- lots of people have different different people have different journeys through change. And when I when I was in that room questioning what what this trainer was telling me when I was doing my ad car course, um, that kind of led later on to me doing lots of these myth busting. So I, I I guess my my followers my followership, as it were, started through my myth, myth busting on LinkedIn, um, which is up to sort of twenty five myths now where I sort of thought, well, I need to go away and actually look at the the hard evidence to see whether what people are saying is true or not. And a lot of these things, they call them sort of zombie ideas or zombie myths. They just won't go away, no matter how much. And that in itself is very interesting because it just goes to show how embedded our beliefs can become when when the, the education system that's, you know, starting our whole belief process around what is change management if that is if that isn't right then it's very difficult to go back mm-hmm. um so i i think that's where we need to change we've got to get a robust body of knowledge uh, within organizational change yes um or change management whatever you want to call it yes. um, and and start from there and use that as a platform but i think we go we're on a road to nowhere if we carry on believing what we currently believe about in change
0: Yes yes and I agree. I mean these are assumptions that we need to keep challenging ourselves before we start spreading them and continue using them as well uh, because I think the workplace is far more modern now and far more adaptive than previously. I don't think we do we give a, a lot of credit to the people we work with and who is you know the, the stakeholders who actually receive the change and I think the practice is getting better as we progress um definitely when i got into the practice about 12 years ago it was nowhere near now um however i still hear about the assumptions and the tired statements around change i want to ask you about what's your definition of organizational change um yeah well i i,
1: I again this is a, a sort of another idea i guess that um, that i i've been sort of batting around and that's when people talk about organizational change, organizational development, strategic HR management, uh, change management, actually, all the definitions are the same. They all come down to how do we build um, internal human capability to meet organizational, um, external sort of ambitions. So it's how we create adaptive capability within an organization that can respond to external challenges or meet external ambitions that organizations have and you see that another word is dynamic capability for instance which David treese has, uh, has, has developed yes. um, but but it's all it's all the same stuff and people keep repackaging it and I moved away from change management. Um, because I don't think it's, you know, we're not necessarily managing it. I think that that gives the wrong impression. Uh, and I just called it organisational change. You could call it organisational development because that has the same ambition as well. You know, organisational development is a planned, systematic approach to enabling sustained organisational improvement through um, through improvements of its people. And And that's, you know, that's another de- definition, isn't it, of change management, organizational change, you know?
0: Absolutely. Uh, I think there was a, I was having a conversation the other day, a project is a change. And a change, by definition, you will, you will really have to make a, a good assumption that an organization will, will spend money to introduce change with the intention of making things better. Because nobody's going to exactly. spend money, spend money, and then make things worse. Now, the outcome of the change may be really, you know, not ideal, but the initial intention behind any change or development is that you move from A to B, and B is better than A.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and if and if and and I'm sort of fairly hot on sort of causal claims that that is a very strong, it's a strong causal claim, isn't it? You're going into organisation and saying if we if we do X, we will move from a to b and doing x is better than y because mm. y y is going to get us to c and not to b yes um you know but this is what you know back in 2010 when i started doing my qualifications and you read Cotter and stuff like that um but that it's not clear it's not clear that what they are recommending that process that end step linear process is actually going to deliver where is the evidence where does it say if you do this then the yeah. likelihood is that You'll get a positive outcome. And I think this is why change management, organizational change, um, you know, just just has a bit of a bad rep. Um, you know, we, we can't prove that what we do as practitioners works. And that's that's kind of a bit odd, isn't it? Well, because I think, if you're a lawyer yeah. or if you're a fireman or if you're a, a doctor, <laughs> you know, that spraying, you know, water onto a fire is going to put it out. Yes, um, yeah. or if I give you this medicine, the likelihood is that it's going to help you. We can't make any such claim, yeah. I don't think.
0: Well, um, I um, you're bringing up a very interesting point, which is from my experience, uh, because the rate of change and the speed of change and, and, and the volume of it, there's little uh, attention being paid to the outcome of those changes, nobody's sitting in there and... Now I am, for example, with one of my clients, I'm in a really you know, fortunate position that the client is giving me the space to actually go and find out and, and, and validate that as a result of change A, and now we are in B, a staff member life is better or a customer's life is better. And finding that evidence is really hard because then you'll have to find a lot of data behind it. And I know that you've you are a big advocate of having a scientific mindset. Is that what you're talking about?
1: Yeah, I think, yes, um, absolutely. And you could call it um, a scientific, uh, the reason I call it a scientific approach is because as, as a, if we're taking a sort of a scientific mindset, mm-hmm. then we're not treating our beliefs as fundamental truths, which... I think, you know, we have a tendency to have, don't we, because we hang on to them, we use them to predict our world. And if they're not right, then our world becomes a bit uncertain or too uncertain. So I I think there's a changing mindset there where we, we need to feel that our beliefs are hypothesis and that we go out and test them. And I think that's so much of a more engaging way to create change where you say you go in as a change agent. Don't we, we go into organizations and practitioners say, look, I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. I don't even know. I don't know what the problem is at the moment. You tell me what the problem is and we'll work out and we'll test things. Um, and, and we'll we'll find out, as you said, what the outcomes are of those little experiments that we're going to run. And then we'll run another experiment. We'll keep learning and we'll learn together. And maybe one thing works for you and it doesn't work for somebody else. That gives us an amazing contextual richness. Then, then we start to understand, well, why is it that something works in one area of a company and then not in another area of a company? Is it the relationship with the manager? Is it because they're you know, um, working in a a different environment, different culture, whatever it is. And, And so we start to build an evidence base that's highly contextual and highly relevant to the organization, which I think is the problem that people have with one of the problems that people have with academic research is that, you know, they say, oh, it's conducted in a laboratory or it's not specific to this industry. okay maybe not, but it's a starting point. And, it's, and and we can use that as a way to sort of firm up our hypothesis, as it were, yeah. and then go out and test it. And wouldn't it be wonderful, wouldn't it be wonderful, this is what gives me goosebumps, if, if practitioners and academics could work together and academics can help us run these experiments and practitioners can go back to the academics and say, that didn't work or that did work. Um, and, and so we, we build a body of evidence together that's yes. robust. Uh, and that's my dream, really. That's where I would like to be um, with, with with this whole practice. That's well, what me.
0: If you're going to create a group Hope. or a think tank <laughs> group around change management or change practice, Alex, I uh, put my hands up, and I can, uh, you know, I'll be the first to join you as well, and and then share my um, my insight and what works and what doesn't work. Um, I, I quite like that idea. Um, before we started recording, we actually did talk about a topic which is really important, and I just want to uh, ask you about it again. We did talk about the, the, the phenomenon or the notion that professionals need to do the basics and need to do them really well. And we did talk about um, that there are a couple of well-tried and well-tested change frameworks that are actually in the market with some methodologies in there that are actually practical. So the question is, are we really that good at applying those and actually persisting and and, and being patient with the execution of those methodologies? Or are we being impatient to actually try to do them and say they don't work and therefore I'm going to have to create my own?
1: Yeah, and and you know whatever you do, don't create your own because there's there's enough out there. I think there's over (laughs) you know fifty, sixty.
0: Recycle, recycle your own. Yes.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah, and 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 you can you can see that in whether it's um, team performance models. uh, Mm. You know, there's there's loads of those. Um, You know, there's 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 loads of um, models out there if you if you look for them, and very few of them are. Are validated, you know, have any sort of predictive uh, validity, so you can do it, but you've got no idea what the outcomes are going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I, I kind of steer away from from using models and think about what kind of capabilities an organisation needs to create internally um, to be able to uh, adapt and. Um, And I think that's fairly clear from organisational development, what um, the Centre for Evidence-Based Management are doing and the CIPD uh, in the UK, which is the professional body for HR people are doing in the UK, and what um, Change Management Institute now, which I think started out in in Australia and is in the UK now, um, what what they're starting to do, uh, particularly um, the um, Centre for Evidence-Based Management, is create rapid evidence reviews. or or summaries of evidence to say, look, we can be pretty certain that if you try and instill um, psychological safety, for instance, or fair decision making, and there's a whole raft of theories and interventions that you can run around that if you do these things we can be pretty confident that people are going to be more accepting of change and more responsive to change and help other people through change and see why the organization needs to change um you know so i, I think there's lots of co- what we call constructs uh out there that are well tried and tested that we can just start working with and as you say why, why invent new stuff when we've got lots of these, we've got at least, I, I think, 16 of these things that we can start working with, that we can start dialing up and dialing down, um, depending on on what the context is of the organisation is. Yes. Yes. Um, and then I think the next stage, sorry, I mean, the next stage then is to understand what the interrelationships are between those things. So if we do dial up psychological safety, for instance, mm. what happens to the quality of conversation when I give performance feedback? What happens to levels of, of trust in in leadership, for example? And if we can start to understand those interrelationships, then we start to really get our bang for bucks because we know if we do one intervention, we then get a whole multitude of of benefits and we know for instance psychological safety is a is a huge mediator for all sorts of um benefits within organizations yes so you can actually do very little and get a very huge benefit (laughs) so there's a good business case for doing this stuff as opposed to oh let's tell everybody that we're changing and run a communicate a fancy communications campaign and and use our money for doing that
0: Mm. are you talking about uh when you talk about environment and and, and those interventions, you're really and, and tell me if I'm wrong, you are talking about the culture of an organization.
1: Yeah, whatever, whatever that, whatever that. Whatever means. that term. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, the thing the the, the issue with culture is, uh, yeah, we don't really know. There isn't well, a clear could, definition. Yes. We don't know whether the links to performance or not, whether it links to changeability. What I'm fundamentally talking about is behavior. Is how do we how do we get people to adopt new ways of working new behaviors um for the organization to be able to move in a different way to be able to respond to external forces you know so if we're working remotely for instance you know we need to be able to use teams for example we need to be able to be more digitally literate um, as it were Um, if we're moving into an age of you know um, lots of data then hr um practitioners need to become more, um, more numerate, for example. So how do we change? How do we change that? Mm -hmm.
0: Um, Alex, I want to ask you about, so now we touched on the organizational capability, let's just call it that organizational capability to manage change. How do you, you did mention psychological safety is one component to help an organization manage change effectively or or adapt to change. And we will talk about organization we de- we really talk about people here. What are the things that we need to consider to build that capability uh, for an organization to, you know, manage or adapt to change.
1: Yeah, so I well this is a bit of a sales pitch I guess, a bit of a plug. So I've developed um diagnostic tools. So I think it's important to go into an organization, you do a, you run a diagnostic, you 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 cast the net wide and see okay what's going on in this organisation and we can run the diagnostic against these capabilities that we know are important uh, from all the research uh, that we know yeah if you get these capabilities right the likelihood is that you're going you're going to be able to um, to change as an organisation so you know that's organizational support, for instance. So do I see my organization to support me? So if I make this step out into the unknown, like you're stepping off a, a sort of a cliff, is the organization gonna be there to, to offer me the steps to the other side of the uh, of, of, of the gap, as it were? Um, so that we know that's really important. We know that the quality of relationships that we have is critical for teamwork. So if we want teams to change, then how do people act optimally within teams in order for that team to function uh, really well um and and there are different perspectives there's individual perspectives as well we know individual resilience is a thing and we know if we do certain things we can boost resilience and we know that if people are resilient then when they do get things wrong when when we when we do fall down and fail sometimes as we do in change because it's a learning process we can sort of get back bounce back um, You know, sense of autonomy, sense of self-confidence, goal setting, having clear goals, knowing that the work that I do fits within my my skill set, having feedback, getting feedback, having a dialogue. Um, trusting dialogues is really critical to yeah. change and performance right. as well. Um, having a clear sense of purpose, organizations having a clear sense of purpose, having clear, having the right processes in place to be able to manage, manage, you know, in a, a sort of loosely defined managed performance. So, do we understand um, ha- how we measure performance and whether those metrics are driving the right behaviours? Whether processes are right, whether the HR Policies and practices are really driving the change to the sort of system side. So, you know, we know we know all about this stuff. Um, There's so much been written about it. And we we just got to learn it and put it into practice.
0: So what what do those data points tell you? So they they give you information and therefore based on that, you build your insight. And based on the insight you build, you, you recommend a set of strategies. Is that what it is?
1: Yeah. So the diagnostic um, gives you or a diagnostic, I think, should give you three things. It should tell you what people want so people can rank. Yes, I you know, I feel we should build. like so we should build trust in leadership, for example. So I'm going to say that's really important. Maybe we know that trust in leadership is really low. So people have scored it really low. And we also understand the interrelationships between trusting leadership and other capabilities like perceived organisational support or, you know, um, clear goal setting or resilience or whatever it is. So then we know which um, which um, capabilities we need to pull in order to drive certain you know, in in order to drive other capabilities. So if trust is in leadership is low, for example, then and we know there's a high correlation with psychological safety, and we know people have said, yeah, trusting leadership is a priority, then that becomes a really good change narrative where we can go out to the organisation and say, we can get bang for bucks for this, so we're not very good at it. We know people really want us to be good at it um, because that's what they've said. And we know if we do these things as an organization, then we can increase trust in relation in in, in leadership. Um, yeah. and, and so that creates a conversation. And then you can say to, you know, the finance department or the HR department, wherever it is, you can say, well, you experiment with this. You know what the outcome is, what we want. We want to increase, you know, trust in leaders. You 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 start a conversation in your area and as an OD person, as a change practitioner, I'll come in and I'll say, well, these are kind of the interventions you should try. Um, this other department are doing this. Why don't you try that? Let's see if that works. Yeah. And then you start a conversation, you empower people, you give people a sense of autonomy around, Yeah. Yeah. You get the
0: picture. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, I am thoroughly enjoying uh, this conversation, um, Alex. I, I You just gave me a few things to think about as well, uh, myself. Um, we are coming to the end of the podcast. I just want to cover one key thing from your perspective, and I always ask this question to all of my guests. What would be your advice to the change of practice community?
1: I, I think... Don't panic if you don't have a solution you know you shouldn't have a solution mm-hmm. and and i I always feel when I go into organizations I'm not saying this is the right way of doing it but i, I you' you almost want to say as reflective uh, for as long as possible because as soon as if you think of yourself as participating in a in a complex system so that people are responding to what 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 you're saying as well as um you know, the other way around, that you're affecting your environment, then the more neutral, the more reflective you can stay, the less, the more you're going to see of the true nature of the organization and what's really going on. As as soon as you start going in and imposing views or methods or solutions or whatever it is, then the whole system isn't working the way that it was before before you came. Mm. So I think there's something there's something around that, and I think whatever we do, we should do it in a humane way. I think that's that's the number one rule, isn't it? Yes. That if we are, if we believe. In change, we believe in humans, and we believe in humans can change. Then we have to believe. Then people have to believe that we're doing things in an ethical way, and that means not going in and deliberately creating pain. That means not believing that people, uh, you know, deliberately undermine change through resistance. All these negative beliefs that we have. I think, then becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So the more ethical we can be in our beliefs, the more positive almost we believe um, in, in, hum- in humans, um, the better the outcomes, I think.
0: Fantastic. Um, suspend your judgment as long as possible and show the highest level of care uh, in your practice. These are really uh, two great pieces of advice. Um, Alex, it's been wonderful. How would people reach you?
1: Um, probably I'm quite, um, as you know, um, active on LinkedIn, uh, and go to my website. You can see that, um, Evan flow, on there as well. I've got a YouTube channel. Um, but yeah, you can find me there as well.
0: And we're going to put all of your information on the podcast. Alex has been a pleasure having you as my guest in the inner game of change podcast. Uh, I hope to get you back and we talk more about the myth busting, but until then, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Stay well and stay safe.
1: Brilliant. Thanks, Ellie. Next time you're in London, give me a call.
0: I will. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. To know more about my guests and this podcast, check the innergameofchange.com.au website and remember to subscribe. I can't wait to share with you my next episode. Until then, stay well and stay safe.